0: Hello and welcome to the Runway VC podcast, a podcast where we have real conversations with experts and disruptors about the future of the aviation and travel industries. On this episode, we talk with Mario Rodriguez, the executive director of the Indianapolis Airport Authority. During the conversation, we talk about the future of airports and what directors should be doing to better position their airports as the doorway to their cities. We also talk about the adoption of new technology at airports and how teams can build a culture that's not afraid to fail. Hey, Mario, how's it going? Good. Chris, how are you doing? Uh Doing well, doing well. You are the executive director of the Indianapolis Airport Authority. Besides Absolutely. all the words in, in your title, what does that
1: actually entail? Basically, the executive director is the equivalent to the CEO in the private sector. So the executive, executive director is a title used in the public sector a lot, uh, but it is completely equivalent to a CEO in the private sector.
0: And when we talk about the Indianapolis Airport Authority, is that just Indianapolis International, or is there other facilities that you oversee?
1: No, no. There's a large amount of facilities that we oversee. Actually, there's about $2.3 billion in assets that include the International Airport, four reliever airports, one of substantial size, one heliport downtown, major land holdings and major investments. It, it would be it would be basically a combination of a, a of a company, a pretty good sized company and a pretty small city. So you put those together and you're gonna have this type of airport system. Got it, got it, got
0: it. Okay. So let's take a step back. How did you get into the aviation industry from the beginning? Was it something that you grew up around or something you just kind of fell into after college?
1: Yeah, Chris, it's a little bit of both. I love aviation. uh Very big aviation enthusiast. And after college, I went to work for a company that was developing Fort Lauderdale International. I'm an engineer by trade and have had the privilege of working for multiple companies that have designed things all over the world, including having the privilege of working on the design of the Hong Kong airport. Um, after living in Florida and on the East Coast and working on a consultant bases for a very long time, I decided to work for Palm Beach International Airport and its system of airports. Worked there for for a good long time. Went to New Orleans pre and post-Katrina, fabulous city, very interesting work pre-Katrina, even more interesting work post-Katrina. And then I ended up in Long Beach, California, For a good long time, developed an entire new terminal and an entire new concept of how terminals should be designed, and eventually made it over here to
0: Indianapolis. Before we touch on your work at Long Beach and, and the new design and concept for terminals, your time over developing the Hong Kong airport, how did that differ from the way that they were approaching aviation from the States? Um I think that well, recently we're seeing a lot of rise in, in aviation in that part of the world. Uh so I would imagine that you were you were working over there right as that industry was
1: for lack of a better pun uh taking off. Oh a- absolutely. They were looking at massive expansion, huge hubs, uh huge Asian hubs and huge movements of passengers through through the through the concourses. While And that differs greatly from Long Beach, for example. Long Beach was designed, let me rephrase that, Long Long Beach Airport copied a resort hotel. So the interest was not in moving passengers as quickly from point A to point B. It was more a sense of place and an incredible feel of that you've arrived in Southern California in a high-end experience. So it differed a lot. And Chris? so you mentioned, yeah. one thing you
0: mentioned that you kind of moved around a little bit from Palm Beach to New Orleans, Long Beach, and now Indianapolis. That's, I would say, a pretty typical trend in the industry. A lot of people bouncing around, similar to athletes jumping from from a different professional team to another. Um, how does that transition work? How does that recruitment process work when you're going from consulting to Palm Beach and then down to
1: New Orleans? Well, it's interesting because when you're, obviously, I was a consultant, but what's interesting is I was the general consultant for the Palm Beach County Department. And Palm Beach basically told me, why don't you stay? Why don't we hire you on directly? And from then on, I've been working in the public sector. So at a certain point, when you get to a certain point in your development in this career, remember, it's a very, very small career field. If you start thinking about it, although the United States has 500 commercial service airports there are about 100 that are of a certain size so recruiters recruit from within that 100 so it starts it starts looking more like major leagues and minor leagues if you know what i mean right so uh you know if you have team a that needs a player they usually steal it from another team right and then that team brings people up through the ranks to fill in the hole. So it really is an interesting sort of dynamic, and it's getting more and more aggravated as time goes on because you have a large baby boomer population that's retiring. You have an extremely small Generation X population that right now has a lot of experience, but there's not a lot of us. And then you have a very large millennial population right behind there. So you've got sort of this population gap in size, So it's becoming more and more difficult for the recruiters to find the right people to fill the right holes in different areas.
0: And now when you get approached and you go through that process of recruitment, how do you sit down with your family and have that conversation? Uh, I got to imagine moving to various cities on different parts of the country is not an easy transition, especially when you're going from West Coast weather to uh, (laughs) Indianapolis winter. Um, how does that how does that come up during the dinner table, and how do you go about approaching approaching
1: that? Well, the answer is very carefully, <laughs> but, uh, in, but in but in reality, at a certain point in your career, and in everybody's career, it stops being about the career, and it starts being about the family, and more about the family. So, for the last few moves, my moves have been more about benefiting the family been benefiting my career. So, you know, you get to a point where I could have stayed very comfortably in Long Beach, but it was better to move the family over here, better quality of life, lower cost of living, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So um, it really is about the family at that point.
0: And it was also a vertical move in your career, right? I mean, Long Beach is a small hub airport. Now you're into a bigger airport, a bigger airport authority. So in a sense, you know, you're, it was a somewhat of a promotion to move up. So, in that in that way, uh, does that does that impact? I mean, obviously, it impacts the decision to some point. But is there ever a time where you want to look back and say, you know, I'm going to think this is going to be the end, but I don't want to stop working, so I'll take my talents and you know move them to a smaller airport?
1: Well, uh, yes and no. Uh, remember the amount. Of passengers to go through an airport, if you increase the amount of passengers that go through an airport or decrease it, it doesn't increase proportionally or decrease the complexity of running an airport. It really doesn't. You still have the same functions. Sure. You still have airplanes landing, you still have the same operational functions, you still have the same capital needs. Mind it, smaller capital needs, but you have the same type of capital needs. You have the same political. Um, political facets that you have to deal with you still have the same community facets that you still have to deal with so although bigger doesn't get disproportionately complex or or smaller doesn't get simpler I don't know if you
0: know if if you're catching what I'm saying yeah no absolutely that makes sense Um, especially dealing with I would imagine politics which is something we're also going to talk about Mm -hmm. uh, in a little bit but continuing on the line of the transition, how does that work when you come into a new airport? Uh, is it similar to, and, and we'll keep with the sports metaphor here, uh, a college football coach or basketball coach, where they come in and kind of clean house, or, or is, is the adaptation on you where you have to
1: come in and work with the existing staff? You know, you normally, you normally try to. It, it's 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 like a like marriage. You try to make sure that both parties get along together, first of all, because at a certain point in your career, you're qualified. So you want to make sure that it's the right fit. Once it's the right fit, you want to look at the structure and make sure that the structure has been modernized. I have, as of yet, walked into a structure that was a disaster. It doesn't happen. It usually is very well managed to a certain degree, but for the better part of my career, I've been studying how things devolved how things mess up for lack of a better term for example if you look at at what used to be an incredibly powerful city detroit back in the 1940s it devolved to what detroit is today they didn't have a vision of bringing one of the most technologically advanced cities on the face of the planet to its knees about a decade ago so it wasn't it wasn't a planned sort of thing so what happens in this industry, like in most industries, airports and airport systems don't evolve. They don't evolve technologically. They don't evolve within the organization. They don't. They don't keep progressing. Um, Benjamin Franklin actually said it best: that when you're finished changing, you're finished. One of the most difficult things you can do as an organization is change. And that's one of the most essential things that you can do. So it's like this dichotomy. Humans don't like to change, but it's happening anyway. So having an organization accept change is extremely difficult, but it's necessary. So going into an organization, usually you're going into the public sector, which doesn't like to change. They're, they're adverse to change. The public sector is incredibly averse to change. So making it change is extremely difficult to begin with.
0: And that's actually a great transition into the next kind of area that I wanted to talk with you about is some of the issues that you're seeing in the aviation industry as a whole. Where are you seeing some, some pockets that are desperately need of change or uh, that change is just gonna be inevitable despite the kicking and screaming of uh, some, some other influencers and experts in the field's objections?
1: Well you know we we're, we're we're still we need change all the way through. we're still not seeing it as an industry. everything from the way we treat customers and the way we perceive air service all the way to the business aspects need to change. We're not a very nimble or um industry, but if you look, for example. Just in the, in the airline industry, the airline industry has gone from something back when Tony's Janus was flying across Tampa Bay, arguably started the first commercial service airline, um, going from an oddity, you know, the guy was selling tickets on what essentially was a wooden and uh, canvas aircraft to fly across Tampa Bay, going to a luxury, an immense luxury Back in the 1950s and 60s, I'll, I'll give you some data points, which I, I don't know why they stick in my head, but they stick in my head. The average domestic airline ticket was about 300 bucks back in the 1950s and 60s. The average house cost 3900 bucks, and I think cars cost about 800 to $900. Fast forward to today, to 2005 and to 2015, the average domestic airfare in 2015 is 388 bucks. So it's going from a luxury to mass transit in a good way. It's become more democratic to fly in the United States. Over last year, I think domestically, the United States moved three quarters of a billion passengers. That has become a transportation system beyond any other transportation system that has ever existed before. Yet, we still think of it in 19. 50s, 60s, and 70s perspective. We still think of this transportation system and how to treat it. We're still, on the financial side and on the, on the business side, we're still suffering from deregulation uh, hangovers, which are agreements with the airlines show that they still have some vestiges of these very, very interesting times that we went through during deregulation, which should have gone away a long time ago. Our airline partners, especially the legacy carriers, their market share was reducing. And the they are not focusing in on, and we're not focusing in on, actually, we are here in, in Indianapolis, on the true customer base, which will be the millennials and post-millennials. We're looking backwards instead of looking forwards. So we're not looking at how technology how leveraging technology and how technology will change the whole face of your travel experience—from parking your car, going through security, all the way to the aircraft—self bag tagging, self bag tagging should have already been introduced. So there's a lot of things that need that we need to fast, push the fast forward button on.
0: And you're touching on, I think, the the demographic of of the what is considered now or what will be considered the average passenger, Uh, you know, for a while and and still to this day, the average passenger was, to the airlines, your business person. Someone also that they considered the highest value, right? Those are the people that are willing to pay for last-minute tickets and fly a little classier or fancier (laughs) than the people in economy. How are you seeing, though, as that shift changes and as you mentioned to millennials and post-millennials, the needs and the demands that those passengers are making. I mean, I speak for myself as a millennial who's constantly comparing, especially when I'm at airports uh, Mm -hmm. since I'm in the industry, to the experiences I get in other industries. How How are you seeing those demands and what demands are you seeing from your new average passenger?
1: What we're seeing, and obviously it's the right thing, millennials are leveraging technology like no time before. So, for example, in order provide a high level of customer service, we have the the fastest Wi-Fi in the entire United States in in any airport with no splash page. And why is that important? Because it's needed, because it's expected, because it's not a luxury anymore, because that's what's expected. That's what millennials expect. You expect to be connected all the time and that's what we need to provide we need to provide that sort of service and that's just one example sure we're in in long beach for example we designed an entire terminal that is a copy of a resort hotel everything from sushi chefs to sommeliers to a 17-foot fire pit in a wine bar and it's a wonderful wonderful experience there's an open palm court there's high-speed wi-fi also and it's all LEED certified. Thirty percent of the building is is recycled materials. And so it becomes it becomes trying to find out who your customer base is and really making sure that you're providing what your customer base wants. And in, in Long Beach and as well as in mm-hmm.
0: Indianapolis, those changes are you seeing that as a higher correlation to Passenger usage, um, I mean, in terms of employments going up and just the overall
1: experience, or... it, it past, Passenger satisfaction. If you look at Long Beach and you look at Indianapolis, both have won Condé Nast Traveler Awards for being the number one airports, have been named by ACI number one airports. So you're actually looking at that. Co- it's not correlating to more passengers. It's correlating to more pas- to, to passengers with positive experience. So... The, the, my entire career has been built on identifying who your customer base is. Where in some airports, in some groups, mistaken the airlines as the customer. In reality, the customer is the one that's coming through the door. The airline is accessing the regional customer base. So while airlines start reducing customer service as they should, because the Ryanair model is the future of aviation, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. The Spirit model is the future of aviation. Elite, lead, believe it or not, is the future of aviation, where you have a you have a product that's a la carte that you could choose from. You could choose from different things. So, if that's the case, we need to we need to improve the customer service within the airports. I don't know if that makes any
0: sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, and you mentioned both ACI and Condé's NAS, best airport list, a list that you are no stranger to. Both airports that you've been involved in, in within the past three years now have made that list, uh, and I think this past one, Indianapolis, was number one. Um, number one, yeah. In addition, in addition to just the fast Wi-Fi, what else are you guys doing in Indianapolis to kind of improve that customer
1: experience? Our restaurants are becoming more local. So you're getting a, uh, a seamless experience from your aircraft through the terminal all the way to downtown. So it's becoming truly an Indianapolis experience, just like we created in Long Beach, a Long Beach experience once you land. You know, your experiences back in the 70s and 80s in most airports were very generic. You had sort of the standard sort of generic brands our experience is becoming more centric. It's becoming more community aligned. We have music on Fridays, first Fridays. We have local artists. We have art on the walls that we're purchasing. Uh, you know, I'm looking downstairs at an Indianapolis 500 car, an Indy car, sitting mm-hmm. in the middle of of the plaza. It, it is it is more of a connected experience than it was before. If you look at and it's very important because we're the gateways to the community. This is your entrance to your community. So it's very important to provide a proper entrance and provide a sort of customer as Business partners, people's business partners, families come in and out of the city. This is the first and the last impression. And this one is very aligned with what the city offers. And so is Long Beach. We created an experience which which was extremely aligned with the city. You land in Long Beach Airport, and you automatically understand what Southern California is all about. Where, and I'll give you an example, obviously, um, whoever hears this podcast, I hope it's not anybody from the Washington airports. But (laughs) if you look at Reagan National, Reagan National is the gateway to arguably the most powerful city on the face of the planet. A city that was designed to impress foreign dignitaries. Look at the entrance to it. Mm-hmm. it it's not aligned at all. Same thing with, with Laguardia. Right. Are going into one of the largest financial centers on the globe. Not very. Not very good alignment.
0: And you mentioned that being the gateway to the city. To kind of continue along the passenger experience, are you seeing in Indianapolis and then in Long Beach as well as the evolution, the technology behind the planes that are bringing these people in, so Boeing now with the... Uh, 777 and the 787 the world seems to be getting even smaller smaller than it already was with the price of oil going down and air travel becoming more affordable you're seeing now flights from Austin to London and a a route that would not have been possible before the 777 Um, I know you all were recently or are still actively pursuing a, uh, a flight from Indianapolis to London as well yeah. But are you seeing more of an international presence now as they as these faces walk through the airport?
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the world is becoming a smaller place and it's becoming a more connected place. Uh if you look at just what technology has done in giving us the ability to do it's fascinating. Um to millennials it's expected. To me it's absolutely fascinating. That leveraging technology, you've created this shared economy, which is beyond words. You've created an economy that Uber exists in, Lyft exists in, Airbnb exists in. So you can rent a flat. You can go first of all, you can you can be here in Indianapolis, book a ticket on your iPhone. Call an Uber or a Lyft, get to the airport. you already have your ticket and your boarding passes. go through 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 security, get to your airplane before you get to your airplane. You could rent a flat in Paris, fly from here to a hub from a hub to Paris, and do the same thing over there to get to your to your flat It's fascinating I mean it makes travel so simple um, if you look back thirty years ago. That would have taken a travel agent probably five hours to figure out. Mhm, and it would take someone that has no knowledge and is not an expert travel agent today It would take thirty to forty minutes to figure out right on an iphone It's fascinating it's just it's just completely fascinating now it's the same thing with the aircraft i I tend to see the future as more. More of an a la carte experience and more of a self service experience as you go through an airport. Checking, check, self checking your bags, self bag tagging, self checking, uh, using your personal devices to get through security, to access the aircraft. Very little interface with people unless you actually wanted. A very connected experience inside the aircraft where you could use your devices to stream movies or or entertainment as you go across across the ocean to Europe or wherever you're going. Mm-hmm. It, it really is interesting, getting to the point that the cockpit right now, technology is up to the point where an aircraft could literally fly remotely or fly itself to a certain degree. So the, the talk about the pilot-co-pilot situation may just end up one day as one pilot letting technology drive most of the other stuff because if you think back there were three people in the cockpit way before there was a pilot co-pilot and a and an engineer the engineer is gone now
0: now you mentioned the 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 age gap especially i think that the industry is is facing and this is a topic that uh anyone that's listening to the other episodes we will have available when this one goes live, we'll kind of see, because the two other episodes that we've recorded have also talked about an age gap in the industry. So it seems to be a popular trend. But between the baby boomers that are nearing retirement age, uh, as well as the incoming millennials that are taking over your associate positions and You know that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. The gap though in the industry seems to be that there aren't going to be as many Millennials or that the excitement to get into the aviation industry isn't what it once was. When the baby boomers uh, who were military pilots and other aspects you know mechanics in the Air Force and Navy retired and decided to stay in the industry uh, that they knew, that excitement doesn't seem like it's being transcended down to Millennials.
1: and you're absolutely right. The you know one of the biggest problems that everybody has, everybody, and economic development is not driven today by moving factories. Economic development is driven by attracting and retaining talent. It's not about moving factories. It's not about. It, it is about talent attraction. And unfortunately, our industry, for the most part, but from millennials' points of views, are viewed as stodgy as an old as an old industry it is it is kind of stodgy to to, to to be quite frank and i think we're modernizing it as we go along uh, but one of our biggest problems in the industry is attracting and retaining talent and another big problem that everybody is having i mean this is this is across the board is the generational size and population size for example the baby boomers are an incredibly large population. The millennials are an incredibly large population. Generation X is much, much smaller than both of those. So how do you maintain the machinery running when Generation X doesn't have enough bodies to feed it? You have to bring up millennials faster than you would have otherwise done, which is fantastic. But by the same token, you have to be able to attract top talent, which is the most task. Does that make any sense?
0: Yeah, absolutely. As a director of authority of airports, what do you do personally to attract that talent and then, like you mentioned, maintain, retain that talent, especially uh, millennials have that reputation of, of position jumping, right? You work. It, it's not uncommon to see a millennial's resume before they turn 32 and there be you know, four or five different positions at four or five different jobs, which is something that I don't think anyone, you know, in a hiring position has seen before with other generations. Generations before usually stuck at one place and then stayed at the company for 15, 20 years and uh, bowed out when they retired. How are you retaining that in that that type of uh, mindset in an industry that's already programmed, as we talked about earlier, to be transient?
1: One of the interesting things that we've seen that we are attracting, unlike other airports, we're we're attracting millennials. We have recruiters, internal recruiters, that are focusing in on attracting that type of talent, and we've been very successful. We're also modernizing the organization, and it's since we're tying more and more to the community. It speaks to the millennials to what they really wanna do, which is actually affect the community in a positive way. So we have a lot of millennials over here that their main focus is to affect the community in a positive way, whether it's to provide the highest speed Wi-Fi in the nation, whether it's to provide the largest solar farm on any airport on the planet, whether it's to develop different sort of themes for the airport, Uh, different sort of music venues for the airport. They're looking at how and what they do here affects 8 million passengers a year plus all the other ancillary stuff that this airport does. So everybody's very well-focused on doing that, and it's it's yielding results because it's speaking to what the millennials that we're attracting want to do. So we're trying to get this out of the airport system over here and we're trying to make it more progressive. We're also building a very high-performing culture which is based on recruitment and training. So we have a large amount of training that we do here and we're trying to bring up millennials as quickly as possible and show them that there is progression in the organization and there's rapid progression. Because we have baby boomers retiring, and we don't have any Gen X's, Gen Xers to fill it, mm-hmm. so they they come up faster in the organization than they would otherwise come up in any other organization. Are you all
0: setting up some mentor programs or any other types of programs to kind of, I guess, empower that that Gen that millennial generation, those oh, those that- employees.
1: Absolutely. That, that's all part of the education process. That's all part of the training process and development process to bring the, the the millennials, which are already extremely high performers, bring them up to the point that they could take roles on that they wouldn't have otherwise taken if if this were 30 years ago. Speaking of empowering, to kind of sh- –
0: Playback on that. Um, you mentioned, like, you, we've talked about the Wi-Fi and the solar farms and all those things that are being implemented at Indianapolis. What are you doing, again, personally, to kind of make sure that you're fielding those ideas? And how do you parse what's a good idea? What's or what is going to be the latest trend that you may not want to buy into because it may be a fly-by-night type of trend? Well,
1: you know that 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 that's that, that's extremely difficult, but we're developing an organization that isn't afraid to fail. That's one of the things with the public sector. If you look at the public sector, you know, most public sector entities are afraid to fail because they are are public sector and they're open to scrutiny. Sure. We're developing an organization that is not afraid to fail. And actually we have defined one thing, the why, why are we doing this? You know, Nobody really sits around and asks, well, why are you doing this? If you go around to most airports and you ask them that, they won't be able to answer it. You know, the why is behind the service to the community. We're serving our community. That's the why. Everything else is a tactic of that strategy. And I, and the millennials are viewing this very well. How do we serve our community better? Is faster Wi-Fi serving our community better? Absolutely. Is a better app serving our community better. Absolutely. Is getting not on the bleeding edge, but as close to that edge as possible serving our community better? For the most part, yes. Since we're not, see, if you look at it from most other perspectives, our sort of testing different things is not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. It's actually an excellent thing. It shows progress. Some of them hit, some of them don't. And if they don't, Fine, we'll try something else. So those are only tactics. Don't let a tactical failure mess up your strategy because a tactical failure is just a tactic. If you mess it up, big deal. As long as you keep aiming at the why, everything everything basically falls into place. You know, how many times has, you know, obviously you can't compare our industry to any sort of advanced technological industry like Apple computer, but how many times has Apple Apple Corporation, as a corporation, messed up something. Sure. And, and that really is the focus and what we should be focusing in on. And you mentioned that
0: in the public sector, uh, there is a bigger fear to fail. I think some of that has to do with the fact that failure is magnified, but also failure can be
1: correlated to a loss of a job, right? So. Oh, uh, absolutely. You know, if you're worried about your job, you should not be in this industry. Actually, if you're worried about a job, you shouldn't be working anywhere. <laughs> Can you talk about kind you of know, a
0: time where you took a gamble that didn't work out, or you tried a tactic and, and it did it didn't oh, fail? How, lo- how,
1: how long do you have? <laughs> well, let's
0: go with one where afterward you you kind of look back and you may have been may have been afraid for
1: your job. Look, every time you do something, there's a probability that something is going to go wrong. And there, there is, you know, we we had huge when we built the airport over in Palm Beach, a brand new airport out in the middle of the uh, uh, of swampland, basically. We had all sorts of protesters, people screaming at us, and at the end, it was a wonderful facility. People enjoyed it, but during the process, it was a very painful process. Building the terminal in Long Beach, Long Beach was deadlocked for a decade. They could not figure out what they wanted to do. I took a gamble and I figured, you know what? We're gonna we're gonna build a terminal which is all ground loaded, ramp loaded. So it doesn't rain in, in Southern California and we're gonna put we're gonna put we're gonna make it look cool and we're gonna make it look unlike any other terminal in the United States. We're gonna copy a resort hotel. We're gonna put a fire pit out there. Uh we're gonna have open restaurants. We had the health department Saying that they wouldn't license us, I had to call the mayor to scream at the at the health department. They licensed us. It was beautiful. So, cut the ribbon. Everybody loved it. You have to take a chance in this life. You have to take a risk in this life. And uh, you know, obviously, having having said that, if it goes if it goes wrong on you, you, you know, I'm. It, sometimes things don't go perfectly right. But if you don't try it, you're never going to know. And I think
0: uh by saying everyone loved it even that is selling yourself a little short. I think it was BBC that named Long Beach Airport one of the top 10 most beautiful airports in the world when it when it was open. So uh you know taking
1: taking that gamble it, clearly paid off. But it didn't look as an air, it didn't look like an airport. That was the gamble. Sure. That was the gamble. The gamble was it didn't look like an airport, it feel like an airport, and it was an incredible gamble and there was an incredible community outcry before that because they didn't want it the community did not want expansion and at the end the community fell in love with it took it in on, as its own during the process it was an extremely painful process like with most things
0: and how do you go about getting the buy-in from your board from the mayor from the city council i mean the politicians that really if does says- Something goes wrong they're also uh, trying to to throw the blame to protect their own jobs. So, how do you go in and approach those leaders to get the buy in for
1: change? well obviously it, it depends and it depends on what the leader's focus in is in in most cases, the elected officials are usually looking at job creation. And in most of these cases, most of these developments create a large amount of jobs during the process. But they're looking at job creation, so you have to you have to sell it in political terms. You have to sell the development. You have to sell whatever you're doing in political terms. What? How does it resonate with them? And what is their? A, What are they looking for? Are they looking for jobs? Are they looking for technological advancement? Are they looking for an ability to attract industry into the area, attract the service industry, attract jobs? So it really is, it depends. It depends on who your audience is as to what their focus point
0: is. And how do you deal with the pushback from the people that are going to be opposed to change because that's not how we've done it? I think that's the common term or the common phrase that uh, gets associated with people that don't want change. Uh, You know, they're afraid of change because it's not how it's been done in the past. When faced with those types of conversations or those types of personalities, how do you push beyond that?
1: Well, you you know, you, you obviously start out by trying to, Trying to show the benefits, but in the long term in the long run, there are people that are completely opposed to change because they're just opposed to change uh, and like I said at the beginning of this, when you're done changing, you're done you're finished because everything changes you things that we did in the last decade we don't do now. And in the next decade, we're not going to do what we do particularly now. We're not going to operate this this place the way we operate it right now. Everything changes as quick, and actually, it's changing even faster. You're probably you're you're probably more familiar with Moore's law than I am. Sure, but I've seen change in the last decade that I haven't seen in the previous decade. I mean, and the and the speed of the change has been incredibly. Uh, mind-boggling. So these people that are av- adverse to change, you know what? It's going to happen anyway. It's happening. It's not that it's going to happen. It's happening. It continues happening. So in most cases, you have to bypass them, get around them, or go through them. And, and that really is it. You either convince them or you go through them because change will occur. Right. And change—it's natural to change. Like I told you, I've been studying the way things. Evolve for the my entire career change i could tell you i could tell you that probably the new jersey new jersey port authority hasn't changed much you know and, and look hasn't changed much look what it's brought it you know detroit really hasn't changed much look what it's brought it
0: so for someone that is interested in implementing or helping change at an airport, and I know the process is is different for every airport, but for someone that may not be in the private sector, so have a company uh, with a product that wants to work within an airport, airports are infamously, the real estate in an airport is infamously expensive. Uh, I think I read Mm -hmm. somewhere that airport real estate is some of the most expensive real estate anywhere, but also a lot of red tape. So a lot of people in a lot of different positions and kind of pushing people around. What is your advice to those types of to people that are trying to get into the airports? How What is the best approach, the best method to approach if I am a local restauranter and want to put my restaurant in the airport? Hmm. All
1: right. Let's look at globally and the airport industry, not not locally. I would say that if you have you have a company and you want to be in an airport, I would say to start off with with finding an airport that's very progressive, starting there mhm and then anchoring there and that's an example to everybody else that it can be done if you're a local restaurant that's that's an interesting thing because uh you know local restaurants should be in airports but i think a lot of the airports nationwide are actually seeing this unfortunately most local restaurants are only licensee agreements or license agreements to larger concessionaires multinational concessionaires they're not truly local so that's that's a battle to be fought um within the political structure of a city of a county and also between the administrative the administrative and the the board level of an airport, where if true restaurateurs, local restaurateurs, want to move into a restaurant, into into the airport, it needs to be at that level, where where you could show the economic impact of maintaining as much of the money local as possible. In other words to stop exporting any economic impact and retain it as local as possible. So really that's a little bit more of a difficult sell in the long run, but it'll probably occur slowly. But when it comes to accessing the industry also as a whole, I would be looking for these airports that are extremely progressive. There are many out there. The West Coast has a few. Um, the East Coast has a few, Florida, and so on and so forth. And anchor in one of those first and then spread from there.
0: And as an airport, what are some of the things that directors or deputy directors can start doing to kind of bring their airport up to a more innovative place? You said that the West Coast has some innovative airports, which makes sense because of the valley and just Mm -hmm. that whole uh, culture over there. The East Coast has some, uh, Florida has some innovative airports, I think, out of necessity because there's just so many. Um, But, you know, what can someone in Norman, Oklahoma or, you know, the smaller airports that don't necessarily are in parts of the country that don't necessarily have that innovative culture or innovative identity start doing to increase the innovation at the airport or increase the attractability of the airport?
1: Well, you know, it's fascinating. Uh, you're gonna find you're gonna find the answer a little bit unusual, but I would say look outside of the industry. Start looking outside of the industry for innovation. Start looking at what's happening outside of our glass bubble. Start implementing some of that in- innovation in your airport. Stop pushing against things that'll happen that are happening and have happened, the Ubers of the world, the Lyfts of the world. You know, except that there is that there that our industry is a little bit anachronistic. Except there are business models very anachronistic compared to the rest of the compared to to the outside world, and start listening to other than industry experts. Have I any sense?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that actually leads right into my kind of one of the wrap up questions that I had was what are some of the trends in other industries that you're looking at or do you think will make their way into aviation? Kind of, oh. do you think there will be an Uber of the skies anytime soon? Oh,
1: ab- absolutely. An Uber of the skies? We have Uber right now that brings passengers to our door. It used to be a closed. Taxi and closed tra- ground transportation groups that used to bring us passengers. Uber brings us passengers. Lyft brings us passenger. Think about the rent-a-car industry. Think about sidecars. Think about everything else that's happening right now, and leveraging technology and using a shared economy. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, technology will eventually make it into the airport system, but we have two things that are holding us back. Two very, very powerful things. One, actually, three powerful things. One, we have a very strong federal overlay. Very strong amount of federal regulations. Two, we are in the public sector, which is adverse adverse to change. And adverse to risk, incredibly adverse to risk, and three, we ha- we are in an industry that still is suffering from post deregulation hangovers, which we still have a lot of the, a lot of the contracts and documents that we use on a daily basis were developed forty years ago, or parts of it were developed forty years ago. So we don't really have that innovative sort of spirit where most other industries have this incredibly innovative spirit. We're hoping to alleviate some of that sort of stodginess when we bring in more millennials into the makeup of the airport systems.
0: And so you mentioned Uber and Lyft and and Sidecar as trends that are going to be impacting aviation. And I think those are... Those are pretty easy because they've all identified aviation or airports, you know, as go-to places, particularly the legal battles that both Lyft and Uber have gotten into with airports and Sidecar pretty much building a business around rental car, you know, changing the rental car industry. Yeah. Is there any is there any trend that you're seeing that right now on the outset has nothing to do with aviation, but you are seeing how in the next five, ten years – this is going to be this is going to make its way in
1: you know there there were a lot of trends that started and failed, tried to introduce into the airport and failed mhm but if you if you just go along the lines of technology, I truly believe that at a that at a certain point we're gonna be an app free world and we're just gonna have one platform where everybody literally hops on. Their device. It's going to become a little bit more difficult when it comes to privacy, but it's going to be a lot more efficient and a lot more effective to go through the airport environment using that sort of platform. I'm not sure what it's going to be, but we've been talking to people in New York in different areas that truly believe the demise of the app is right around the corner. Interesting. And it's going to be more of one, one. Platform all the way through, and we're actually experimenting. We're testing a couple things at the airport right now, so it really is going to be more of a more of a really connected society in the future, much more so than it is right now. And right now, it's incredibly connected. So I think technology and technology is going to drive a lot of the innovations that we are seeing at the airport. They're driving a lot of the a lot of the innovations outside of the airport, and that's being driven into the airport. In some airports, willingly, in some other airports, kicking and screaming,
0: but it is being driven. You mentioned some things you're testing and experimenting. Sounds like you're establishing an R&D department just for the airports over in Indianapolis. Is there uh, any kind of insight as to what the future holds for Indianapolis?
1: Uh, the future. The future is bright. It's uh, you know. Better connectivity, a better seamless experience, more local restaurants, more of a sense of place, uh, you know, more happy customers, more satisfied business people. That's what it really holds. Our, our ability to bring all of this to bear on our customer base, on our community is very exciting for us. And the ability to leverage technology and leverage the innovation that's happening outside of our glass bubble is extremely exciting to me personally.
0: Is there any hardware that you all are uh, experimenting with? When you mentioned connectivity, one thing comes to
1: mind. Uh-huh. It, okay, what well, comes to mind? We we were looking <laughs> we were looking at the software aspect of it. Okay, and we were looking at and we've got. And obviously we've got a fully connected the the, the 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 high-speed Wi-Fi is within the terminal we're also looking at pushing the high-speed Wi-Fi onto the entire campus uh, which will work every, for example once you get on the campus you'll be able to connect into our Wi-Fi system from your own sure uh, but When it comes to to hardware, you're talking about hardware. What are you talking about? Come on. Well, I wasn't sure if
0: I was going to be reading the next headline, that Indianapolis was the latest airport to roll out a beacon system.
1: We're thinking about that. But (laughs) but, 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 we were talking about the beacon system, and I think we're going to shy away from that because I believe that this platform that we're talking about is going to completely override the beacon system.
0: Really? Really?
1: Yes. In other words, you're going to have the beacon system for, for about 30 seconds, and then this is going to come along and and completely blow the doors off the beacon system.
0: So uh, the beacons are the flash in the pan trend.
1: I think. I think. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Well, because time will start tell. Looking at time will tell, but you know you start looking at how how things are are evolving. I, in other words, we have one great disadvantage. By the time we implement technology, it's too late. Sure. In both cases, it's too late. There's a new there's new technology that's coming in around the corner. So, we're trying to implement technology that's ahead of the beacon system, just to well, stay on track. If you know what I mean.
0: Yeah. No. Absolutely. Absolutely. So one kind of. Wrap-up question that I'm starting to ask our guests a, as an off-topic, candid question, uh, just to kind of give people into the type of person you are and while maintaining the relevance to the industry. But what are the three things that, when you get onto a plane, are always going to be in your carry-on?
1: Hmm, that's fascinating. All right. In my carry-on, first of all – oh, in my carry-on bag. Yep. Because I only carry on. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. It, it, the answer would be everything, but everything you would need for a day. But if I had my choice as to what I absolutely could not live without, if that's the question. Yep. Three things I can't live without, my iPad, my phone, and a charging, and a charging device or both.
0: Okay. I think that there are a lot of other people that are uh, gonna feel the same way
1: <laughs> well, you know it's a connected world these these are personal devices now and it, it, my i i do everything on my ipad i write on my ipad I read the newspaper on my ipad i have books on my ipad I have the, i have business documents on my ipad excel spreadsheet everything you get everything under the sun.
0: It's it's moving that way. Uh, I always feel bad for the people that pull out the binders and the notebooks and everything else that comes with dealing with all that paper. Uh, there's no way oh, I'm going to keep cool. track of that.
1: <laughs> oh, I can't. I, yeah, I can't keep track of that either, So.
0: Uh well, is there anything else about Indianapolis? Where can people find any information about at the, the airport, what you all are doing on Twitter or Facebook right. or anything like that?
1: Right on our right on our website, on Twitter, on Facebook and on on Instagram. We have everything. Just go to our website and uh it'll connect you to all these wonderful things. And we're Absolutely. updating our and we're updating our, our website. Um one of the impetus to updating our website, believe it or not, was you, Chris, because oh, yeah. I saw the the website you created, and and we looked at ours, and ours was dodgy because websites are becoming are going back to what they were at the beginning, simpler. Yep. So we're, we're simplifying our life,
0: and I think that speaks to the mobile uh, the mobile web. Absolutely. So absolutely. Okay, Mario. Well, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you kind of ask, answering these questions and and going through everything.
1: All right, Chris. Hey, you have a nice day now. Talk you to too. you later.
0: Thanks for listening. If you like this interview and want to hear more like it, go to slash podcast and make sure you subscribe to our podcast at slash itunes or for your Android users, runway.bc/stitcher. You can get the latest episodes sent straight to your phone and listen to past interviews we've done as well.